right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is that time to get started. I welcome you back to your seats. We'll get situated here. We're going to ask the Lord for his blessing. Let's do that. Father God, now as we return to Matthew 15, a new chapter here in the Gospel of Matthew, and Lord, the truth that will set our hearts free, you get down to the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter of why you came, the heartbeat of Christianity and the gospel all explained by showing us what it's not about, petty rules and regulations, man-made stuff that's just death. Not religion, but a relationship with the living God who made us and spoke everything into existence. God, what a joy. How exciting is that to walk with the living God? Would you help us now, God, to make sense of your word, put it into practice so we can be blessed, and a blessing to you, in Christ's name, amen. amen. Nobody likes to get into trouble with the authorities, right? I've told you this story before, teaching general ed classes alongside pastoring in those early days at a tech college. I was in the lunch room uh, with the rest of the teachers on break, and the dean popped her head in the uh, lunchroom and said, hey, Mr. Reinman, I'd like to see you in my office after lunch. And I got that sinking feeling for good reason, you know, and I braced myself for a reprimand. And so I sat in front of her, and she was behind her desk, and she said, one of your students in English class said that you said, and I had already seen what the problem was because I saw a big piece of paper on her desk and I read upside down. It said, Jesus died for our sins. So just waiting for what she was going to say, but I was so thankful that at least they quoted me correctly. <laughs> and she said... She said that you said in, the, in English class that Jesus died for our sins. And I'm just wondering how you managed to work that into a grammar lesson. <laughs> and so I cleared my throat, but she went on. And she says, I don't know how you did it, but my hat's off to you. She said, our students could use a little bit more religion in their lives. And so she said, but do try to use discretion. And I smiled and I said, oh, I will. <laughs> the discussion provided by the Holy Spirit, yeah. So here in Matthew 15, in this morning's passage, the authorities come calling. They've got a bone to pick with Jesus' disciples and with Jesus himself. Men with fancy long robes, they pull up there, the Sea of Galilee, from Jerusalem headquarters, Supreme Court, really. And they're not happy, you could tell by the scowl on their faces. And certainly the disciples have that sinking feeling and they're intimidated. But Jesus, he's not intimidated. He's going to show them who the true authority really is. And so actually, truth be told, they're the ones being called on the carpet by him, not the other way around. So let's walk through. We'll pause along the way. Matthew 15, verses there, 1 through 3. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the Bible, the Old Testament was called the law, his commands, 
Bible scholars of the day, along with some Pharisees, came to Jesus from Jerusalem, it was a big deal, and asked, hey, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replies, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your so-called tradition? Well, we're off and running there with this little confrontation here. We'll get down to verse 11, Lord willing, eventually. But let's take it a few verses at a time. And here's how it begins. Now, if you were with us last week, Jesus and his disciples have just returned after a miraculous trip across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, as it's called. The miraculous maybe an understatement, right? There was, it was packed with miracles. First, they're straining at the oars in the middle of the lake. Well, storm come upon them. Jesus not in the boat, but no worries. He comes to the rescue, walking on the water. And then Peter gets it in his mind and heart. Hey, that looks like fun. I'd love to be like you, Lord. Can I do that too? And Jesus says, come on, Peter. And he walks on the water as well. And then once they get in the boat, when Jesus gets into that boat, the storm dissipates completely. And they find themselves at their desired destination. Yeah, so these kinds of miracles are everywhere and news is spreading fast. Luke chapter 7 said the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea. Judea is the southern region where headquarters is, where the Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin, which, mean, which means assembled ones, an assembly of 70 different groups of pious Jews that uh, formed this uh, assembly of uh, legislators. And they were really, really what uh, ruled the day there in Israel. And so, you know, they've been hearing reports the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, demons are being cast out, lepers are being cleansed, the dead are being raised. And so here they come, and one would expect that as the chariots come up from headquarters and they get out and they're going to make their way to Jesus, drumroll please, what's on their mind, you know? Certainly I'm thinking they want to meet a former leper, tell us. How bad was your leprosy and how did he cure you? Or maybe they want to talk to Mr. and Mrs. Jairus who had a daughter who was 12 who had died. And Jesus walked in and said, stop crying. Man, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up from being dead and he says, give her something to eat, folks. And so, yeah, maybe you want to talk to her parents or maybe her. Where's the 12-year-old? Yeah, no. Oh, no, 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 no. These are the Bible scholars who knew the Jewish scriptures all about Messiah and, and who he claimed to be, the Son of God sent from heaven in fulfillment of all of those scriptures. And so the crowd parts and they make their way up to Jesus and then everybody's listening. What are they going to say to this miracle worker? And they say, listen, why are your disciples not washing their hands before they eat? <laughs> that is amazing. That is truly amazing. And it shows you the futility of religion. Oh, man. And I can only imagine the look on Jesus' face. 
I, I would think he's thinking, you know, I'm claiming to be God, which he did, who came down from heaven into a human body to give eternal life to whoever believes on him. And then you come to me and you ask, not about the miracles, not about my claims, not about eternal life, not about heaven. You want to know why I've taught the disciples not to wash their hands before they eat? Oh, my word, that is crazy. And so, yeah, so let me explain to you what's tripping them up here in your verses before you. Accusation, that's what it is. It's not a question. Whenever Jesus' opponents ask him a question, it's not a sincere request for information. (laughs) It's an accusation. How could you? See, that's a question, right? How could you do something like that and transgress the traditions of the elders? Let me tell you what that means. It began hundreds of years earlier with this oral tradition that the rabbis and the religious leaders would assemble a commentary on how to live the Jewish life and what the scriptures really meant. And sadly, that running commentary became elevated to the place of the Bible, and even more so to this day. It got codified, written down, right, into books called the Mishnah, the Midrash, and the, which make up the Talmud. And even today, the Talmud is up here. Their own scriptures, slightly lower than the traditions of men. And what, what they did, well-intentioned as it was, was well, God gave a law. Let's tell you how to keep it. So if he says, no work on the Sabbath, fourth commandment, let us tell you what con- constituted work. He says, don't carry a burden. He meant like, you guys take a break from your fields, from carrying firewood and all that heavy lifting. Just don't do that and have a day of worship uh, and rest, right? But instead, they said they, they devised, I think, 800 pages worth of laws that tell you what is work and what is not. And they would argue for hours and hours and endlessly about, is it okay to pick up a lamp and move it on the Lord's day? Is it okay? How about a tailor who accidentally, he has a needle. You've heard all of these stories. He has a needle because that's his job in his uh, little, on his robe. And he is, he's breaking the Sabbath because he's carrying something, right? And so they came up with all of these crazy rules. Women couldn't wear brooches. You'd be breaking the Sabbath. And keep in mind that to desecrate the Sabbath was was a capital offense. Israel had stopped prosecuting people for that at that time, but still it was on the books. So it was a pretty serious thing. Could you lift your child on the Lord's Day? Oh, yeah, no, you couldn't because it was breaking the Sabbath and so all of these things. Now, these, the things that I just mentioned, that was the essence of the religion. This is what God really was pleased with, is when people did these little petty rules and regulations that were made by men. Now, this is Jesus' point here. You guys have the wrong focus. So notice in verse 2 what it says. They ask him, why are you guys breaking the traditions of elders? 
And he looks back at them and he says, and why are you guys breaking the commandments of God? Oh, don't argue with God. <laughs> You're going to lose every single time. Man alive. So really, I have written down here with a smiley face, who's calling who into the office? You, you know, Jesus is the dean. He's in charge of the school, right? They are his teachers, supposedly under his employ, and they're being called out for their bad teaching and their bad behavior. And soon they're going to be fired. You know who's going to replace them? 24-year-old Peter, James, and John, who never went to one day of school in their lives. Fishermen who love God. They get the essence of what religion is all about. It's called a relationship with God, reconciled through his son who gave his life in our, on our behalf. And so eating without washing hands, let me explain that to you. It's not about hygiene. That has nothing to do with soap and water. In Exodus 30, the high priest was supposed to wash his hands and his feet before he ministered to God's people, which spoke of holiness. And the guy who does God's work has to be moral and upright. That's all it meant. They took that and they said, oh, we've got to have that ceremonial washing before we eat every meal and for everybody. And so they said, this is the way to really be holy. And so Mark's version in chapter 7 of Mark says, when they came from the marketplace, these hypocrites, they would... These religious leaders, they wouldn't eat unless they washed. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing the cup, the pitchers, the forks and knives, and the kettles. And so what it was, was this elaborate public only. Oh, it's only public for people to see. Because Jesus said, everything you guys do is for show. You want people to look at you and go, wow, he really loves God. He's spiritual. And so that's what it's all about. But... It was all this big elaborate thing. And the more elaborate you made it, the more you truly loved God because you were so careful to obey what God really wants you to do. And what God wanted you to do is to take a pitcher of water and first bless the pitcher. Oh, and wave your hands over and sprinkle water, holy water, and say the magic words, and boom. Now the pitcher doesn't have any spiritual cooties in it, so it can have water in it. And now the water has to go over your hands a certain way. You roll up the sleeves, and you pour it in a certain direction, and it has to drip a certain angle, and it has to drip off your elbows, and you have to wait until it's dry. And then you are clean from spiritual defilement whatsoever. And so they did that all the time. And so the, the crazy thing is, is that they would only do it when people were watching. That's when it mattered to them in public. It would be like telling everybody while you're wearing a mask to tell people on camera you must wear a mask always because it's loving and it's important and you better wear your mask always and then you don't wear it and you're caught all the time in public without a mask. There's only one word for that and I'm only talking about those who preach it but don't live it. That's the problem. And uh, there's only one conclusion we can make. If you're telling somebody to do something that you don't do, and you're saying we should all do it, but, but you're the exception. There's a word for that, and he's going to use it coming up. 
in verse 7. It's called hypocrite, and get this. It means literally in the Greek to speak with a mask. (laughs) To speak with a mask, you can look it up. It means underneath a mask, as an actor would do. And so that's where the word came from. And so uh, now he's going to say, look, you're accusing me of this, but let me tell you what <laughs> your problem is. And so he's going to give them an example of how they break the, tr- the not the traditions of men, but the commandments of God. Verse 4 through 6. Now notice, Jesus says, for God said, not some man, God said, fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And then he throws this in. I didn't even know it was in there. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. That's Old Testament law. Verse five, but you say that if a man says to his father or mother, mom, dad, whatever help you might have been hoping you're going to get from me, I've pledged that to God as a gift devoted to him. Verse 6, he is not to honor his father with it. That's what you're telling him. Thus you erase or dismantle, nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So let's park there and uh I love what Mark says, chapter 7 and verse 13. And then Jesus adds, and he says, and you do all kinds of things like this. So it wasn't just this. It was dozens and dozens of things that they were doing that were just as hideous and outrageous as that. So let's explain what's going on here now to the counter charge. Uh, and, and notice, it's so beautiful. I've already alluded to it, but he says, <laughs> you say to us, you're not washing your hands. You're breaking our customs. And then he says, but I say to you, you're not honoring your mother and father. You're breaking God's commands. What do you think, fellas? What do you think? So in this case, Jesus pulls out commandment number five. The commandments are in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And he also throws in how important it is, how God thinks we should treat our parents, uh, that if you speak evil of your parents, you could be put to death back in those ancient times. Uh, And he throws that in there to just show, look, this is a big deal, isn't it? The way you treat your parents. But you guys aren't treating your parents very well. And you found an ingenious way to break the command about making yourself look good. Wow, that's amazing. And so I've got the commandment, the New Testament spin on commandment number five. Paul the Apostle says to the Ephesians in chapter six, children, obey your parents in the Lord while you're under their authority. You're in their home. You are to obey them. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now he's quoting the fifth commandment, which is the first commandment with a promise because back in Exodus 20, when he gives the command, he tags a promise to one of the commands. He says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Well, let's break it down to honor your parents. The idea in the Hebrew means to prize them, to care for them, to show them respect or reverence. 
And of course, obedience is not required if you're not under their authority as an adult. But notice this, that the commandment to honor them goes to the end of their lives. And he's speaking to adults, not children. He's accusing adults of breaking the fifth commandment against their aging parents. So now that said, why the promised blessing, by the way? Because really, those who learn submission to authority early in life fare better than the rebellious. You just generally have a better, longer, richer life when you're not a rebel. And so uh, we see here, I love what Alan Cole, just a man of God who wrote several Tyndale commentaries, he said to honor parents is not the natural inclination in a world that worships youth and old age is to be dreaded or despised. The result is the folly by which men and women strive to remain eternally youthful, only to find that an impossible task. So here Jesus is saying, my, 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 you guys, clever way of breaking the fifth commandment to honor your folks in their needy older years by making yourself look good. Now, the crime is heinous. It's unconscionable what they were doing. I have down here as one president would describe it. Oh, they do very bad things, very, very bad things. <laughs> it just uses very simple adjectives, right? And you can follow. So if he were here, he would say, oh, well, yeah, very bad, very bad things. And so it was called in Mark 7. Send your emails to Pastor Ben. Um, <laughs> Ben at cctherock.org. All right. It's called the Corbin Clause. And here's what you could do. And I've had two devilish purposes. The Sanhedrin had their eyes, their envious eyes, on people's assets, their savings, their houses, their fields, their property. They wanted it. And so they realized that that was saved for the family. So they came up with this thing. You know what you can do? You can actually, if you really love God and you were really dedicated, you'd come in and pledge it called Corbin, speak Corbin over all your assets. And then it's free to do with what, what you want to do uh, really until the time comes when you die and it goes to the church or the temple in this case. So, what it did there was for adult children who wanted to keep their assets to themselves and not help their father and mother by saying God to them about their relationship with God. Mom and dad, I love God so much that I can't afford to help you because every spare penny must go to the Lord, right? And so what what's crazy is, is that they could just wait it out. They could make the pledge wait it out, and this is what happened. They'd wait it out until they died, and then they'd rescind the pledge. That was their way. Or some of them kept it and, and just felt like because of the pressure of all the religious leaders that they were doing a good work to God, and how could God ever turn them away from heaven if they pledged Corbin over all of their assets, and so they would get enriched. And they would take that money and buy their chariots and their long robes and all of that stuff. One writer put it this way. Pastor Ross Reinman. Okay. <laughs> okay, and I quote, 
And I do. They're guilty, of course, of breaking more than just one commandment. They have misrepresented God. They've bowed at the altar of greed. They have enriched themselves with illicit gain. They have caused thousands of people to sin against God and sin against their needy, aging parents in the name of the Lord. Surely the lowest echelons of hell are reserved for heartless creatures as these. Verse 7. Here's where Jesus says, okay, this is what you're doing, and now I'm going to sum up the story. I'm going to take a teaching moment for the crowd. Uh, As it were, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now, that's funny because, you know, Isaiah was 700 years earlier speaking to the religious leader of that day. But Jesus is going to say, really, it has its greatest fulfillment in how the, the fake Pharisees would be opposed to the Messiah and treat the Messiah. So verse 8, God speaking, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far away. Oh, outwardly, oh, praise the Lord, but inwardly, it's a mess. Verse 9, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Don't eat this, don't touch that, don't go here. And then God's happy. Really? Does that have anything to do with God? No, not at all. That's what he's saying. So here now, the stinging reprimand. Some strong words for those who dare to oppose the one who can walk on water. Don't do that. If somebody can walk on water, don't give them a hard time. The words are going to get stronger, more graphic along the way as they become harder and more stubborn, more deceived, and Jesus is going to spank them to high heaven. In Matthew 23, wow, it is fiery. Seven woes. He says, woe to you Pharisees. And he does seven curses upon them, as it were. Oh, wow, he is heated up. It it's one thing if you want to destroy your life and perish when you don't have to. That's a, you're an adult. If you want to go to hell, you can go to hell. I mean, it breaks everybody's heart and God's after what he did to spare you from that. But when you recruit others to go with you to that place and put your foot out so that others trip over that and are stumbled in their destiny, God says, I, you, you should rather have a concrete slab chained to your neck, charter a boat, and go out to the middle of the Pacific where it's deepest and then be thrown out into the ocean than to cause a little one of mine to stumble. And that's what they were doing 24-7. So I hope, and many did, many did repent. And that's the point of bringing the woes. The woes isn't just because I'm vindictive and I just, right? It's righteous anger in love. Turn from your wicked ways and live. I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn from their sins and live. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. And so he lets them have it, calls them hypocrites, exposes them. For what they are, he says, you guys do everything you do, down to your tithing, down to this, down to what, you know, are they looking? Well, then I'll do it, you know. He says, you guys remind me of something. He says, beautiful, decorated coffins. That's what you're like. 
He said, it's beautiful on the outside. It's whitewash and beautiful of flowers and all of these ornate things. But the problem is you open up a coffin and what do you find inside there? Jesus' words, rotting flesh. You. He says, but that's what you guys are like because a religion doesn't get to the heart of the matter. A religion is for outside. A religion is lighting candles. A religion is doing this and not doing this. And I can't eat this and I can't go there. That's a religion. It can't get in there. It can't do anything. And he's going to get to that point. So he's called them pretenders, fakers. Uh, the word hypocrite there has a nuance of fraudster. You're defrauding. You're misrepresenting God. And so, yeah. He says, here's the deal with hypocrisy. Your lips and your life, they're out of sync. Your lips say something and your life says something totally different. Now, before really, um, before we wag our fingers at them, you know, I have written down here, whoa, there's a little self-righteous Pharisee running around in the heart of every fallen human being. We all know what it's like to, for example, sing worship songs on Sunday, blessing God, and then turning around and cursing men in whose image they were made. James chapter 3 calls us out for that. It says, how can you praise God here and, and, and profane men out of the other side? He said, you know, you shouldn't do that. And then, or how about judging someone without mercy? You know, just ripping them from limb to limb about something you do. You do it too. Oh, but when they do it, oh, you're going to slice and dice them without any slack whatsoever? Romans chapter 2, he says, you guys do that, right? Now, whenever someone says to me, you know, I invite them to church and they say, you know, I don't know. I want to go to church. There's so many hypocrites there. And I always say, and you can use this if you'd like. I always like to say, come to our church. There's room for one more. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because what human being, especially the one who said it, lives up to their own ideals? Nobody. We are works in progress. We are striving daily by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring our lips and our lives into perfect unity. And one day we will... We will awake in his likeness and every cell in our body, <laughs> glorified as it will be, will be for him and him alone. That's why it says his name shall be on their foreheads. We're not getting tattooed on our foreheads, folks. It's an idiom which means on our minds all the time, front and center devotion to God. No duplicity, no double life. No sinful nature and this Holy Spirit fighting back and forth. I look forward to that. And so, yeah, so verse 9, he says, to worship me when your lips are saying one thing and your life's doing something else is a big fat waste of time. That's what vain means. He goes, come on, you go to church and you do all the church things and then you live like the devil Monday through Friday or you go out Friday night and you do your thing and then you come back on Sunday and your hands are up and all of that. He says, that's a waste of time. Stop doing that. And he's talking to them. In their case, it was more focused on the do's and don'ts and their little lists. He says, that's a waste of time because... There's no personal transformative relationship with God, and that's what saves. Let's finish up with verses 10 and 11, and then we're done. 
So now he calls the crowd closer. The crowd was there in the beginning when they came through and they said, oh, why are you guys not washing your hands? And so they're like, oh, there's going to be some problems here. (laughs) So they gave them a little, uh, out of respect, a little distance, and the crowds backed up. Because, you know, the average person around the Sea of Galilee is not a Bible scholar. So now the, the scholars are there, and they start quoting scripture back and forth, and they did. And so they're like, okay, you let the Bible experts do their thing. And they backed up a little bit. But now Jesus done spanking them. And says, now listen up, because... We're going to talk about what it means to be saved and going to heaven. So I want you all here to hear what the heart of the matter is. Why I came. Why you exist. Why you exist to, to have a laundry list of, oh, we can do this and i got to do this and all of that. He says, no, listen up. So he says, it's, a, it's about a relationship. It's not about rules. I told you about one guy who said to me, And they do it all the time. I'll start talking about the Lord. And they'll start saying, yeah, I got an aunt who's into it. I'm not really into it. You know, I'm not into it. But, you know, I know people who are into it. And I said, just stop. Listen, when did I ever say it? I'm talking about a person. A father in whose image we have been created. Who loves us. A dad in heaven who says, I want you to be with me. I want you to have a relationship. You know, I'm not talking about lighting candles and doing this and being a good person. Sorry. (laughs) That's God speaking. I'm not telling you. And so many people would become Christians if they could figure out it's not about boring, weirdo stuff to do that you don't end up wanting to do in the first place. But this vibrant, living, love relationship, having your sins washed away. Oh, man, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is what he's saying. So he says, come on, closer. I've got to talk to you about this. He says, I've got some excellent news. It's not about how many steps you're allowed to take on Saturday. They told them you get a thousand steps and here's a piece of string and for seven shekels you can have this string and keep it in your pocket and on Saturdays, the Lord's Day, you can let it out wherever you go so you'll never break the Sabbath intentionally because it's a thousand steps you get. So Jesus is saying, put your strings away. The string means nothing. And a lot more than that, he says it has nothing to do with the washing of the cup, or the eating of the food. Because the washing of the hands and the washing of the cup or the plate leads to what you eat, which was also had to be certain thing or not in their minds. And so he says that, he says, verse 11, here's the problem. It isn't what goes in the mouth, it's what comes out that you should be focused on. Because that'll lead you to where he's going, to the heart of the matter, what the problem is, right? So he says, in later on, which we don't get to, verse 17, he says, listen, common sense, guys, about food. You think food matters to God? No. He says, it goes in your mouth, quoting Jesus. It goes in your mouth, it goes into your stomach, and is eliminated by your body. Son of God, he made us. He knows what happens, right? And so he says... Isn't that the truth, that food 
it goes through you and doesn't touch your heart or your spirit or your soul. It's irrelevant to your relationship with God in a moral way, right? So he says, listen, the, the Old Testament dietary laws, because they'd be like, okay, what's up with that? They were always about, quote, holiness. Don't eat this, eat this, because I am holy, be holy. It means to be separated. So God had one thing going on in the Old Testament. I've got to keep my nation together because I've got a bloodline leading to a Messiah that has to be pure and has to be kept. If that bloodline is defiled, you don't have a Savior. You don't have a Jesus. So he's like, Israel has to stay Israel without any mixing. So part of the way he did that was to give them strict dietary laws, which prevented table fellowship from happening. How can you go to a wedding? How can you marry somebody who you can't eat the same foods with? It's impossible. You can't be friends. You can't partner with people. You can't eat with. And then it didn't stop with eating. So the unclean laws were given to keep Israel from mixing with non-Jewish believing people, period. Never once is it a health issue. Never once is that a consideration. Follow my logic. If it were, why would Jesus say, it's not what goes in a mouth that defiles a man, it's what goes out. And now I'm quoting Mark chapter 7, verse 19. By saying that, Jesus declared all food clean. Quoting the Bible, all food clean. Now, if it was a matter of health, why would Jesus say, okay, it was terrible and nasty and terribly unhealthy for you to, to eat it back then, but now it's okay. Go ahead and eat what's terrible and nasty and you can eat whatever you want even though it was so terrible. No, that doesn't make any sense. Let me show you what Paul says to elaborate Jesus' calling of all food. First Timothy, these false teachers command people to abstain from certain foods. Don't eat this, you can only eat that which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, big word, that's a big word, everything, everything. God created as good and nothing. There's another big word, nothing. Now, if you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. It's okay. But it has zero relevance to your spiritual life. Zero, zero, zero. And that's what, uh, look, this is a hard sell for, for a lot of Christians. It just is, even though it's right plain there. You Google, Google, go ahead, just for fun. When you get bored today, Google Christian diets. Oh, my word. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of books. You'll just Google code, you'll do another page, another page, book, 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 book. <laughs> another book of God's diet, the Bible, magic foods, and all of these things. Oh, man, we are just, we, wow. You know why, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's easier to go ahead and write some rules down and do this and do that than walk with God and be, live a disciplined life and die to your sinful nature. Oh, let's just make it about, I don't do this, I do do that. It's so easy. That's why people are drawn to rules instead of a living relationship with God speaking. Thank you. You can go back to uh, the text there. So 
he says, it bypasses your soul. Come on, you guys. Uh, uh, it's not what goes in, but what comes out. And this is genius because he's leading them to this point. Romans 14, 17. Excuse me, the gospel, the kingdom of God, being a Christian, being saved, having God in your life, <laughs> making it to heaven, avoiding hell. It's not a matter of what we eat or drink, but it's a new life, a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He comes in and raises you to this new life. And here he's got them headed in the right direction. It's about the heart. So he says, and we go back to our text there. You did thank you for that. It's about your heart from which your entire life flows. Check this out as we wind down now. Proverbs 4, 2 says, above all else, guard your heart because your whole life springs and flows from it. Guard your heart. So Jesus says, I want to get your attention to go to the problem. So he says, here's what defiles you, your words. Pay attention to some of them. Slander. Slander is making stuff up about somebody because you hate them. All right? Uh, hateful, angry words to do harm. When we, uh, we, we say you call somebody a moron. That's what raka means. Jesus says, you can wind up in hell for that. Profanity, vile things, malice is mean-spirited, talk, gossiping, lying. There's so many ways. And Jesus is saying, that's what you guys should be paying attention to, not some gobbly goop and words and all of this stuff and the water dripping and, oh, I don't eat this because it'll defile me. No, 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 listen to what you're saying. And he says that it's not a problem with the tongue, it's a problem with the heart. Because from the abundance of your heart, the lips flow, right? So now he's got their attention. Oh, now they're thinking, well, how do you fix the heart problem? How, how, how do I change that? And he goes, oh, now we're talking. That's what life's about. That's why I'm here. I'm here to clean that place up just like I was born into a, a dark womb and then into a, a barn. They laid him in a manger, in a stall for animals, in a stinky place in the dark and all of that. The light of the world came in there. That's kind of a picture of him coming into the human heart, isn't it? Laid there to bring light and truth, to cleanse us from our sins, to raise us to new life, to give us a hope and a future, to put a new spirit in us, one that can never die and one that loves to do good and one finally that is able to do good. You can't do good unless God's spirit is enabling you, giving you the grace and the mercy that you need. Now, that's the issue. That's why he came. That you could walk with the God who spoke and made an earth how exciting is that to open your eyes to instead of what I can't do and what I have to do and what I don't want to do. And oh, you know what? I'd rather open my eyes in the morning and say, Father God, fill me with your spirit. Let's walk today. Help me to walk on some water for you. Let's do amazing things and loving God and enjoying his peace and his goodness and Knowing that no matter what comes in this life, you're safe and sound. I close with this. A dear woman 
came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said, I, my husband and I found this church 10 years ago. She said, we come from a denomination that's quasi, mostly Christian. It's kind of accepted as a Christian um, sect, right? Uh, but they've got a lot of legalism. She said, we're from two generations of that. And she said, when we sat down, somebody invited us to the church here, and we just heard grace. We heard about grace. And she's crying, and she's saying, oh, what a relief to walk in love and to hear about God's grace, that he took care of everything, and now he's not asking me to make a laundry list of every little thing. He's saying, love me. Because if you love me, all the other things will fall into place. That's the heart of the matter. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, you make it so easy and simple. We complicate it. We're just crazy, God. And we just pray that you would forgive us and wash us clean of our double lives and our misconceptions and our excuse making. And just that we would love you, God, and, and love the truth. And walk with you, simplicity and joy. And rest in your love. You said, come to me if you're weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. So we long for that, to lay down in green pastures and walk with you beside quiet waters, to be still and to know that you are God. And you're for us. So bless us now as we worship you and close out this service and help us Lord, to know what it is that you're saying to each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.